Okay. We're studying the book of the Revelation. And uh, I'd like to, I'm, I'm going to be getting into the 20th chapter, but I want to mention something else again in the 19th chapter. If you'll look with me at verse 11 of chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'd like to go back and just mention this again because I think it's critically important for us in our day because so often... Uh, we're tossed back and forth about uh, the matter of spiritual warfare and what we're supposed to do, you know, when it comes to the evil that's in the world. And uh, and it's our nature; it's in our nature to want to do something. Uh, and sometimes we feel like that words um, are not enough. We need to actually do something. And as I thought about this, because I've struggled with this myself, you know, during the uh, Revolutionary War, when we got our independence from England, it wasn't just talk. I mean, people went and got their muskets and loaded them, and they fought. And so when we typically think about war, we're thinking about weapons of war the way uh, people do, at least naturally speaking. But here in this passage... Um, we read something that's very interesting in verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Well, we typically think of a sharp sword as being an instrument of war, something that you go to battle with and you kill people. But the Lord makes it clear that the sharp sword is not what we think it is. And so the question is, what is it? 
And the answer is His Word. It's the Word of God. And the Word of God is the truth. It's, it's the truth. And uh, the most powerful weapon that we have is uh, what the Lord is showing us right here in this passage. And I think it's very important to think carefully about uh, this particular thought that actually emerges out of this 15th verse because uh, it's very easy to, for us to slip over into carnal ways of thinking with carnal solutions that really uh, do not provide solutions, not always. And so here's the Lord addressing actually the church because everything that is in the book of the Revelation is written to the seven churches. And he knows that we're going to be battling back and forth with um, <clears throat> the issue of how do we appreciate how do we approach rather all of these problems that are coming in in the world? How do we fight this fight? And so the Lord is is here uh, teaching us that the most powerful weapon available to us is not the sword it's the truth that's supposed to come out of our mouth it's the most powerful weapon there is is the truth um, I, I spent some time last week thinking about this uh, as carefully as I, I could and there are three passages that came to my mind I think I mentioned them last week but I want to mention them once again because of the value of repetition which is what the Lord was referring to when uh, he was prophetically talking about Israel and the fact that they were uh, in rebellion against him and were going to go into captivity. And he said, line upon line, precept upon precept, he was going to speak to these people. And what do you mean by that? Line upon line, precept upon precept. He was talking about repetition. Line upon line. Precept upon precept, over and over again. And that's the method that he was going to use to get their attention. Because he could speak once and they wouldn't hear. He could speak twice and they would not hear. And so he was going to send um, <clears throat> the prophets to them to teach them very carefully things that they should not forget. And I think the Lord is doing that here in the New Testament for the church. And the first passage I want to refer to is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Very familiar passage. For the Word of God, notice this, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper 
than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit. So that goes pretty deep. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what the Lord is, is showing us here is, is how sharp this sword is. And I want you to think about how sharp this sword has to be to divide, as it says here, between the soul and the spirit. And where do they connect? Where, where's the soul and the spirit connect? Well, I don't know. That's too fine a line for me. But the sword of God is sharp enough to divide between the soul and the spirit. We think of the soul as being spiritual. We think of the spirit as being spiritual. And so if both of them are spiritual, where do they connect that they are spoken of as being distinct? Okay, if they're distinct, where do they come together, or do they? In God's infinite wisdom, He can divide between a soul and a spirit, which are both in a spirit dimension. That's pretty sharp. When it comes to the joints and marrow, uh, the marrow is the bones. It is where, actually where blood is made in the human body is in the bones. It's very important. Uh, the bones are for a lot more than uh, support. That's where the blood of the body uh, is actually made. And... Um, and so we have the connection between joints and marrow. And if you've ever thought about it, I mean, the flesh is connected to the bones. But at what point is it the joint or the flesh aspect of our being as compared to bones? Where does it actually come together? Well, you gotta you gotta be quite a surgeon to operate on a person and find that exact spot where the joints and the marrow come together. But they do come together, and God knows exactly where, and He can divide it. But think about this one: thoughts and intense. I've had children come be brought to the office for misbehavior and there have been numbers of times when a child would be at fault and they would say well I didn't intend to do it And so you're sitting there and you're looking at them and you're trying to decide, okay, are you lying to me? Uh, didn't you really intend to do what you did to this child? And so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to decide, okay, which was it? 
Was there a premeditated thought, premeditated thought of hurting this other child? Or was it really an accident and you didn't intend to do it? Well, God can divide between thoughts and intents. You're talking about a sharp sword. That's a sharp sword. And so the Lord is teaching us here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 uh, some things that give us insight into His being as God before anything physical was even made. And so this power, this weapon, this weapon, um, which is his thought life, which is the truth, is like a sword. And the Lord wants us to know this. He wants us to understand this because uh, we typically think of weapons in a carnal way having to do with an actual sword or a gun in the hand. And the Lord has drawn our attention away from that in the scriptures and he's teaching us that there's something more powerful than carnal weapons. And it's the truth. The truth. There's nothing in the world more powerful than the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so the Lord is teaching us something about spiritual warfare and how we are to participate in Calvary Memorial Church in the war that's out there. And we're sure enough in one. And so Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, how are we going to fight the devil? Well, the same way as Jesus Christ did. You remember in Matthew, I think it's chapter 4, where um, after the baptism... Uh, of Christ he goes out into the wilderness and Satan met him out there and he tempted him three times and um, every time the Lord's answer to Satan was it is written it is written it is written And uh, Satan was totally defeated by the Word of God. And so if Satan can be defeated by the Word of God, so can any other enemy. Folks, the battle that we're involved in is a battle that's right up here. It's a battle for the mind. And truth is the most powerful weapon available to us. And we are the only ones that have it. Now that's a good thing. 
Satan doesn't have this weapon. The Democrats do not have this weapon. Many Republicans do not have this weapon. Because many Republicans are just conservative, but they're not saved. The only way you can have this weapon is, is to receive it from Jesus Christ. And when the Lord said, let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about, because that's how we receive this weapon. We have to receive the mind of Christ. And if a person doesn't have the mind of Christ, that person is defenseless in the world and has no weapon whatsoever in dealing with the battle that's out here in front of us. And so we need to remember this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, which is rightness. You've got to be right in this battle. You can't be wrong. The only way to know how to be right is to read this book, the Word of God. One of the biggest issues in life is knowing what the right thing is to do the right thing is what righteousness is righteousness is just a, another expression of the term right there's right and there's wrong righteousness is a life of making right choices and that's how we are to understand that term He goes on to say in verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, this should be the end of, of this strategy because if you're successful in communicating the truth, then the end of that is going to be peace. It's the only way to have peace. And so when there's war that we're faced with, the reason we go to war is for this reason right here, so that the end of it we'll have peace. Everybody wants that peace so they can go home and be with their family and their friends and, and live a peaceable life. And the only way that's possible is to know something about righteousness. Making right choices and, and not wrong choices. The verse 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith. Faith. The shield of faith. 
The greatest security, see a shield is, is something to protect yourself uh, from the, you know, the fiery darts of the wicked. Uh, a shield is your protection. And, um, and the thing that's going to protect you is, is not the faith of man. It's the faith God has in himself. And that's what a shield is. A shield of faith is not human. It's, uh, it's the faith that God has in himself and, and he gives it to you and it's the very uh, essence of the doctrine of eternal security. Behind that shield of his faith is eternal security, everlasting life. No man can pluck you out of my hand. It's believing that God is good for his promise. And that's what faith is. The faith that we have is the faith of God. God has revealed it to us. He's revealed himself to us with the faith that he has to make good his promises and to fulfill his word of prophecy. It's going to happen. Exactly the way it's written. This is the faith that we live with. It's not our faith. It's not our perspective. Our faith always has that element of doubt. There's nothing eternally secure about human faith. The only faith in the universe that is eternally secure is the faith God has in himself to do what he said he was going to do in his word. That's the shield. The shield of faith is the faith that God has in himself. If we don't understand that, we're not going to understand much of anything when it comes to the Bible. I'm telling you, that thought right there at, that God gives us in his word, this is not my thought, this is his word to us to study and to enter into and live is with the faith that God has in himself. And so, um, verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet. The helmet protects the head the helmet protects the brain so that nothing can mess up our thought life the helmet and the Lord defines what that helmet is it's salvation it's no so salvation I remember that message being preached in our church. Thousands and thousands of people throughout the world heard that message. No so salvation. How can you live without no so salvation? You cannot have no so salvation without the faith of God. The reason people say like the disciples 
when the issue of betrayal came up, is it I? It's because of that element of doubt. That element of salvation was not in place. And they did not know whether they were the betrayer or not. Not one of them. And the Lord is teaching us here how we cannot fall into that condition of not knowing whether or not we're the traitor that's going to betray the very Savior of our souls. And so he's teaching us here how you can know that you're saved. You have on this helmet of salvation. Well, what is what is salvation? Well, Jonah said it. Salvation is of the Lord. He is our salvation. Well, if He is our salvation, what are we worried about? We can't save ourselves any more than a drowning man as he's crying out for the lifeguard. Why is he crying out for a lifeguard? It's because he realizes he can't save himself. I'm drowning. I need you. And so the person that's drowning should believe that the lifeguard is able to do that very thing. That's his job is to save the person from running. So the helmet of salvation is, is not vested in us. We're helpless. We're drowning. The only hope we have of salvation is that lifeguard. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's no so salvation. There's no element, there's no element of doubt in it. Any Christian that lives with doubt as to whether or not they're even saved cannot witness to anybody in an effective way. You've got to know that you're saved. And when you know that you're saved and you're given an opportunity to talk to somebody that is wrestling with this problem, then you've got an experience, a personal experience, backed up with the Word of God that you have studied that shows them how they can know that they have eternal life. Well, you need to give them the helmet. Well, what is the helmet? This actually the Word of God. It's God Himself. He is the Savior. And He says in the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 48, in all of those chapters, He's emphasizing the fact that He is the Savior and beside Him there is none else. There's no other helmet that will protect the mind from doubts 
as to whether or not you have hope. The way I have learned these things, so that I can stand up here and talk about it, is by going through this very struggle, which was extended. And I've said this many times. Uh, I hear preachers all the time and different ones say, uh, I got saved at such and such a time, such and such a place, and I've never doubted, never doubted. Well, those people are, are more confident than the Apostle Paul. You won't find a greater Christian than the Apostle Paul. You think he ever doubted? You think John the Baptist ever doubted? The greatest of the prophets? Well, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote, and I can't remember which letter it was right now, but he said, Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Know you're not your own selves. Prove your own selves how that Christ Jesus is in you, except you be reprobate. Well, how did he know to even say that? Because the Apostle Paul, I'll guarantee you, when we sit down with him in glory and talk with him, he's going to say, the reason I wrote this to those people is because I did that myself. One of the most careless things any human can ever do is go through life just saying, okay, I got saved at a certain period of time and I've never doubted or thought about it any more since. That is a dangerous way to live. Because this Bible is full of examples of reasons to examine yourself to make sure that you're not making a mistake because your eternal soul is what's at stake and so how do you examine yourself you examine yourself with the examiner the examiner is Jesus Christ he examines us he, we, we're, we're the sick patient he's the, the great physician and he gives us an examination the psalmist David said, uh, Judge me, O Lord. Judge me, O Lord. Our problem is judging ourselves apart from the Word of God. Trying to look at the whole situation through our perspective rather than His. He's the physician. We can't go in there to the doctor and say, I'm okay. I'm okay. The doctor looks at us. Open your eyes there. Let me look at your eyes. I think you've got a problem. He's the, a physician. And so... <clears throat> 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Why do we pray? Why does he say that? Pray. Well, prayer is a, an acknowledgement that we do not have the resources for what's before us. That's what prayer is. You're reaching out to something outside yourself. Well, what are you reaching out to? You're reaching out to God Almighty. You're reaching out to the capabilities of deity. The one who knows everything. The one whose presence is everywhere. The one whose providence controls everything in his universe that he's created. Um, so we need to pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Uh, some of us went to the Dr. Ron Beatty celebration last night and Representative Mark Walker uh, I think had a, a brilliant idea of setting up on, a, on the stage in front of these people uh, sort of a personal interview and he conducted himself uh, uh, Representative Walker as a, as a reporter uh, and they were sitting in chairs both at a microphone and Senator Representative Walker would ask him a question and he would draw out of Dr. Beatty the answer to the question. And I think it was brilliant the way he did it because an interviewer, he kind of knows what he wants to do in the interview to bring out of a person information so that listeners can have a better understanding of the person of Ron Beatty. And so he's sitting up there and he's asking him all these questions and I can't remember now for the life of me why I'm even telling you about this. I don't know what my point was. It's gone forever. Any of you out there know how to divine what I was thinking? Probably not. But anyway, where was I going with this? That was an important point and a good illustration and now I've lost it. What was it? Was it having the Holy Spirit examine you? Say it again. Was it having the Holy Spirit examine you? Yeah, there you yourself? go. Having the Holy Spirit examine you. And he was pulling out of Dr. Beatty uh, things that were helping him even remember. Things that he might not have even remembered had he not even been asked the question. And I think that's a very important point is that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
as he interviews with us, listen, there's no one that knows us like him. We think we know ourselves. No, we don't. This Bible is a revelation of what we're all about, up one side and down the other. And God knows us perfectly. And just think about how safe we are knowing the Lord. So when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to the future of our soul, uh, we don't want to be trusting our perspective of ourselves. We want to be trusting His perspective of ourselves. One of the points I'm going to get into when we get into the 20th chapter where the books are open and everybody's going to be judged out of the books that are written. We have this book, the Bible, which is basically an autobiography that God has written for us to read so that we can know Him. We can't write a book about ourselves. And so God did. He wrote a book about us that tells the truth, just like his book tells the truth. But his book that tells the truth, which is in heaven, we've got a, actually a biography in heaven written by God that is better than an autobiography because we're not capable of writing one. How could we write a, an autobiography that would be true when we don't even know who we are? But he does. And so up there in heaven right now, every one of us that are in this room, there is a book that describes your life and who you are as a person up one side and down the other. Revealing every aspect of your thought life and deeds. Everything that you've ever done. Which also includes every thought. And the Lord said that. He said every word that you speak. Every thought that you have. Is going to be brought into judgment. I'm so glad that on earth... It's not possible for people to know what goes through my mind. And you are too. It would be a supreme embarrassment if we actually could see what other people think from time to time. But God is not ashamed of anything. He has written a book that is a complete and total and righteous exposure of every thought that he's ever had. It's in the Bible. This book is the mind of God in totality. It's infinite. There is no way that you can study and exhaust the depths of this book because it contains everything that God is in his omniscience which is eternal. And somehow or other, in his infinite wisdom, he's compacted everything that he is in his thought life in a little tiny book. 
Now you say, I don't think he could do that. Well, he compacted everything that he is as God in a body. In the body of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so if he could put everything that he is in a body that you could see, could he not put every thought that God has in his eternal understanding into a a book that is equally eternal? And eternally settled in heaven? Well, certainly he can. And so our salvation is secure because God secures it with an eternal promise that if you put your faith and trust in me, I'll in no wise cast you out. And I'm going to go to the cross to show you how much I want to save you. And if you will meet me with an understanding that I'm the only one that can save you, then the possibility of dying lost becomes impossible. Because it's impossible for somebody who truly wants to be saved by a Savior who truly wants to save you for it not to happen. It's an absolute impossibility. The reason I'm able to say these words is because on my journey, this is what I learned. This is how you can know that you have everlasting life. You just simply believe God. He doesn't play around. He's serious about this thing. And it's impossible to die lost if you're honest in your desire to be saved. And that's how you enter into no so salvation. It has everything to do with how God thinks about you and you believing it. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul says to the Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The very important statement. They're not carnal. What does he mean by that? <laughs> in other words, you don't just strap on a gun or a sword and go out and start killing the enemy. The Lord didn't come into the world to do that. He came into the world to save those that were lost. You can't save a person by killing them. So the Lord came into this world and the weapon of his warfare was the truth. 
And so he takes the 4,000 and the 5,000, takes them out into the wilderness, has them sit down, and what does he do? He talks to them. He teaches them. And this is what we're doing at Calvary Christian School. It's the most powerful weapon that I know anything about anywhere. Where we can get these children in here and we have them sit down and we teach them the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The joints and marrow and the thoughts and intents of the human heart. That's powerful weapons. And it's very sharp. And so Paul is saying here the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those words right there that Paul wrote to the Corinthians is the battlefield. It's the mind. This is where wrong ideas come from. This is where imaginations come from. This is where anxiety comes from. It's not having the mind of Christ. He's never been anxious about anything. He's never doubted anything. Everything with God is no-so. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place because we're not going to have a problem with the mind anymore. Wow, we've still got five minutes. So I want to remind you of one other thought while we're on this chapter. Um, I mentioned to you how that occasionally you'll see these illusionists or magicians, whatever you want to call them, <coughs> trying to demonstrate their miraculous powers by the power of the mind, the power of the mind. And so they'll they'll try to do something like bend a spoon just with their thought life and just concentrate, just concentrate on concentrate on some object. And, and bend it. Well, whoopee-doo. Let's suppose they do bend it. Or, who wants a bended spoon? <laughs> of what value is it if with all the powers of your mind you can bend a spoon? Well, that's going to save the world, isn't it? But you see, it, it has nothing to do with uh, helping the audience. It has to do with self-glorification. I can do something that you can't do. It has nothing to do with anybody. It doesn't benefit anybody. It's just a, a desperate effort on the part of a pitiful human being who's trying to 
to be God. Well, how is he trying to be God? Well, he's trying to do something that only God can do. Well, God, with the power of the mind, created the universe by spoken word. He didn't have any machinery. He didn't have some kind of big laboratory somewhere where he'd been working on all of this for a long period of time. If you want to know something about God, he reveals it. In the beginning was the Word. Period. And God spoke and created everything. And the source of everything that we see in this created universe had its beginning with nothing but a proclamation and a will and a desire. And he just spoke and it was done. And it's amazing. I mean, the complexity of this universe, the complexity of a gnat, that a gnat can have a brain and you can try to swat them away and, and they, they know what they're doing. They're smart. And I don't care what you look at, if you'll just study it, if you'll think about it, it's, it's amazing beyond description it's, or words. There's no words to put to it. And God making us in His image. David spoke of it as being wondrously made wondrously and uh, all of creation is a, is a wonder and so mind over matter is something that we see man trying to do in his uh, his desperate desire to take upon himself the attributes of God and do things that only God can do. Uh, Pharaoh had magicians that aspired that very kind of thing. And they were famous for a while in Egypt because everybody looked to the magician as the people who could do things that no one else could do. Well, whoopee-doo. Weren't they special? Um, but taking a rod and turning it into a snake, I mean, uh, if a magician can do that, how does that really benefit you? That's something he can do. But he's saying, I can do it, but you can't do it. And that's why I'm special. But I'll tell you something. When God gave Moses that rod and said, you throw it down, and I'm going to turn it into a serpent. And Moses' serpent ate all the other serpents. Ate them up. 
Because God is special. And there's none else. There's no other God. He's God. Now, there's something interesting I want to show you in this regard. It's about all the time we'll have for looking at it. But turn to Matthew, if you will, chapter 11. Matthew 11. The Lord is talking about John the Baptist in this section. And he says in verse 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than than he. And then he says something very interesting. He says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the whole issue of being saved and knowing it. No so salvation. And so why does he couch that whole concept in this kind of language? From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Take what by force? The kingdom of heaven. By force? Well, what he's talking about is this. The same thing Paul was talking about when he said in the book of Galatians, Galatians, I think it's chapter 4 and verse 16, he said, uh, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Jesus Christ came into the world and told the truth. And the result was violence. And they sent soldiers down and they apprehended him and they brought him into a court and brought forth false witnesses. And they killed him. Violence. There's never been a more violent act than the cross of Calvary. Never. And so the question is why? Well the Pharisees were going to use violence in such a way that their truth became the truth. And his truth they wanted to destroy. And they tried to destroy it by destroying him. Because his truth was not what they wanted the truth to be. 
And so with violence they crucified the Lord of glory. This church is hated in the world. It's hated in this community. And there are people that will get violent when you go and you try to tell them what we believe. They will become violent. Some of our church members are experiencing that right now in dealing with public education and the kind of violence you will run into and the tempers that you will run into when you try to tell them the truth concerning what they ought to do and how they ought to think. They don't like it. But every, listen to me, every one of them think they're going to heaven that they're going to be in the kingdom of God. And that's what this is talking about right here. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Well, who are the violent? It's the people of this world that God came to save, but they don't want his salvation because they think they already are. We be Abraham's seed. We're Presbyterians. We're Baptists. We're Catholics. We're good people. We're going to heaven. What do you mean we're not going to heaven? We got to go to your church to go to heaven? Are you the only ones that are right in the community? And that's exactly how they think. And this is what Jesus Christ ran into when he came in this world. Is violence. It's hated. He was crucified. And the Lord said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. They sure will. And you'll experience it when you go out here. If you tell them the truth, they'll hate you for it. They sure will. Well, as always, I didn't get into where I wanted to go in the 20th chapter. I wanted to talk about the bottomless pit. I think the name of this message today was the bottomless pit. I guess I have to use the same title next week as we get into the 20th chapter. But I hope you'll think about these thoughts. Because we're in a war. And the only weapon that is going to work is this right here. That's it. Um, let's uh, let's have a, a prayer. Any of you young men back there want to dismiss us in prayer today? Anybody? AJ, dismiss us in prayer.